midway through that worship set, I'm thinking somewhere Amy Grant is tapping her foot a little. So midway through that worship set, I'm thinking somewhere Amy Grant is tapping her foot a little. <laughs> kind of rocked it this morning. Um, if you're a guest, we're, we're glad you're here this morning. We trust that uh, you are seeking after God and you will find him. Uh, our, that's our great prayer for you this morning. We're in the middle of a, of a series that's consuming us this year about the three great love. So m- midway through that worship set, I'm thinking somewhere Amy Grant is tapping her foot a little. So m- midway through that worship set, I'm thinking somewhere Amy Grant is tapping her foot a little. First circle of, of loving God. And we've been talking about how God loves us, how he loves us so sacrificially, unfailingly, undeservedly, um, God loves us. And I, and I love that um, this kind of, this, this focus of our series is corresponding with the season of Lent, where every Sunday we as a church family take the Lord's table together and we ponder how he loves us so. And that naturally brings us to the question that we're exploring more specifically these days in our teaching on Sunday morning, that is, how do we love him back? If God loves us like that, how, how do we love him back? And we've, we've been talking through different ways, exploring different things. that. And today, as Daniel alluded, we, we're going to talk about loving God back by loving his word. And let me see if I can make sense of you. You know, I, I don't have my uh, clicker. Is it back there? Thanks, Brian. Um, that'll make this go a little smoother, probably. Thank you. Um, the, uh, when I was preparing for this, I, I, I wanted to ex- explain this to you this way. Uh, these are my parents. This is Lawrence and Betty, and this is their wedding day uh, back in 1945. And you can tell I, I was, they had me very late in life. Um, <clears throat> uh, but dad, dad's wearing his, uh, his Air Force uniform. He's just back from World War II, where he was in, uh, on Iwo Jima, uh, in the Gilberts, a number of different places in the Pacific as part of that theater and that great war, and came back and married my mom. But while he was gone, he was gone for four years, and my mom wrote dad a letter every day, every single day. If she missed a day, she would write two letters the next day. And so, no doubt, what, you know, one thing for sure, uh, Betty loved Lawrence, right? <laughs> no, if you're going to correspond like that, that's evident. Um, we still have those letters. My, I believe my older brother has them uh, back up in the Midwest where we grew up. See, Dad saved them. Um, carried them all around the Pacific with him, brought him back uh, to the Midwest uh, where he would marry the woman who wrote those letters. Uh, How he treated her words was an expression of his love for her. And... uh, if he, you'd imagine if he'd have said, been sitting there under the palm tree and those, you know, 
deserted islands in the Pacific with a bunch of GIs all around him. Mail comes, gets the letter. If dad had just gone, meh, another letter from Betty, bunch of gossip in the Midwest, tossed it aside. That would not have bode well for their relationship. This picture probably never would have happened if that had been the way that he responded to her words. But as it is, he treasured those words. And, and they were happily married for uh, more than 60 years. Dad loved those letters. He read and reread those letters. He toted those letters all over the Pacific and back home for one reason, because he loved my mom. Now, one thing's for sure, Lawrence loved Betty. And so when you open up your Bible to Psalm 119 and you read this, okay, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? It tells you that we are reading the writings, we are reading the journal, if you will, of someone who loves God very much, right? We know how he loves God by the way he loves his words. And as, as, as we're going to see, this man, he loves God's words. Um, and today what we're going to do is read just a snippet of this unknown poet's work and be encouraged to follow his example, to love our God who loves us so by loving and treasuring and treasuring and cherishing and keeping his words. What I want to do today, I just want to make sure that you do this. Um, find something personal in this. Okay? Find something for you in this. How can you love God back? By loving his words in better, more beautiful, more cherishing ways. Okay? So as you can imagine, you can turn to Psalm 119. And I'm going to pray for us and we'll, we'll, we'll dig in. Father, be kind to us now and teach us how to love you back. When things are right and our hearts are good, we so want to love you back. And so I pray that you would both do that heart work and show us the way that you long for us to express it as we look at this uh, extraordinary chapter in, in the word together. May your spirit have full access to do his good work in us. We, we ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, if you're not familiar with Psalm 119, it's, it's a remarkable psalm. Um, it weighs in at 176 verses, okay? It is a whopper of a psalm. It is, some, someone described it as the Mount Everest of the Psalms, okay? Um, there's a Puritan uh, pastor, his name is Thomas Manton. He wrote and preached 190 sermons out of this psalm. So we could be here a while, okay? 
We're just going we're, we're gonna to skim across it and, uh, hey, read it all later today, okay? Read it all later today. We're going to skip through parts of it. Uh, it's absolutely uh, a phenomenal um, work. Uh, it's an alphabet psalm, right? Um, if you notice, uh, if you look down at your Bibles, uh, the top of every eight verses has an odd little monosyllable there, like uh, hey or tate or dalet or all kinds of things that we don't know what, what those means. Those are, those are he the Hebrew letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 of them. They're in order, and that's the way their poetry worked. They didn't rhyme on the back end. They lined it up on the front end. And uh, so it's like the first section there is their letter A, and every line in that eight, those eight verses begins with the first letter of their alphabet. Uh, our equivalent would be the letter A. Second section, bait, is their second letter. That would be the letter B in our alphabet. And it goes, so you can tell this is a carefully crafted psalm. Okay, this poem, it, it took some time um, and effort uh, to write that. We don't, we don't know who wrote it. Um, suggestions range from Ezra to King David. Uh, somebody suggested 176 different guys wrote it. One wrote each verse. I doubt that. But we don't really know. Um, but what we can say is whoever wrote this, they loved God's word. I mean, they loved God. They loved his word. The entire psalm has a singular overriding focus, uh, this man's love and commitment to God's words. Just as if you'd seen my dad carrying all those letters around in his footlocker in the Pacific, you would have said, he must love that Betty Hodel. So too, you read Psalm 119 and you say, this guy must really love his God. As he writes verse after verse after verse about God's words, he uses lots of different ways to talk about them. We've already, you've already heard them read. He talks about things like commandments and precepts and testimonies and ordinances and judgments and statutes and, and words. Lots of different ways. Eight or nine different ways he refers to um, God's word. And uh, they all have little nuances, but I like the way William Ross kind of summed it up. He says, basically, the psalmist is writing about his incredible love for anything God says, okay? He loves it all. He loves God's rules. He loves them. Um, and this is one of the overwhelming themes of Psalm 119. As we look into this guy's journal, as it is, so to speak, and we read over and over and over again, he loves these words. He cherishes them. He treasures them. They are to him a delight. Just listen to some of uh, a sampling of the verses where he says that. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I'll not forget your word. Verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. When was the last time you heard somebody say, could we have some more rules, please? This guy loves these rules. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 127, I love your commandments above gold, above 
fine gold. 129, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. 136, 148, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. And then 161, 163, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love, I love your law. Clearly, okay? First big takeaway from Psalm 119. This guy delights in God's laws and rules and words. He loves them. It is for him an expression of the way he loves back the God who loves him so. Now, one thing you may, know, may not know about me, largely because up until this point it's been a secret. I'm a bit of a poet. Okay? Um, I'm not a particularly good poet or a prolific poet, and I'm definitely not a published poet. I am what you might call a pretty nominal, periodic, for private consumption only kind of poet. But every decade or so, and I told you I'm not prolific, right? Every decade or so, I am compelled to write a poem to my wife, okay? So she has a collection of like three poems. <laughs> Something like that. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. My wife, her training and her work life is built around being a teacher. She's a teacher. Okay? She teaches youngins. And uh, even though she's a teacher, she does not grade my poems. She doesn't, I don't get them back with, you know, words circled in red, um, critiquing my grammar or my spelling or my poetic structure or the lack thereof. Um, You know, imagine if she received the poem, the poem of the decade, right? And, and she gets it, and she opens it, and she reads it, and she goes, just another poem of the decade from my husband, declaring his love for me. Meh. And she wads it up, and she throws it away. Whoa. Okay, whoa. We've got a problem here. Get that out. I spent a decade working on that poem. Get that thing out of the trash, right? Um, that's an expression of my love for you. And, and Steph, of course, does not do that. She cherishes them. One of them was even framed for a season in our bedroom. Um, it's not that she couldn't have critiqued them. Okay? I reread one yesterday and found a word left out. Um, I'm not a particularly great poet, but... So if you're, if you're waiting for the published works, the poetic works of Larry Trotter, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because um, honestly, it's just not that great. Okay? It's the best I can do, but it's, it's not that great. But now what, what our poet in Psalm 119 is writing about is great, great literature. Okay? He, like me, 
is prompted to write about something great. I'm writing about, about my love for my wife. He's writing about his love for God and his word. And the word that he has, the, the word that he writes, because it's a fascinating thing. He's, he's got the word, right? He's received from God the word. He's got like the front end of the Old Testament's all he's got. And he's ecstatic. And he, he receives it, and so he writes a poem back to God, a prayer in praise of God, God's word that he has. And God takes his poem, includes it in the word that we have as the word of God to us so that we might be prompted to write and sing praise back to God for his word. We're kind of on the back end of this absolutely amazing cycle. But what he writes about is so good and so pure and so perfect. It's delightful. It's life-giving. It is, according to him, it's perfect. He says, I've seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment, God, it's exceedingly broad. It's his way of saying it's, it's perfect. He is writing God to express his delight in no mere second-class prose and poetry, but writings that will bless again and again those who give themselves to this. He starts that way. He starts first verses right out, of the, right out of the blocks. He says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. He is saying, and he's going to trot this theme out throughout the psalm again and again and again, the words of God are good and bring blessing to all who keep them. All kinds of blessing. There's a fellow named John Enzer tells a story uh, happened to him when he was a, a teenager. He says, when I was a teenager, I, st I stole a hat. He says, uh, what was worse, I arrived at the store with a wad of cash in my pocket. Could have bought the hat. He said, but staring at the price tag, I thought, hey, why should I spend my money on that hat? I can get it for nothing by pinching it. And then save my money for something else. As I headed for the door, the store manager stopped me. I suddenly wished I were dead. The manager saw I was not yet a hardened criminal, and so he sent me home with instructions to have my parents call him back with the news, or he would call the police. And so I went home, he says, to take my lumps. To this day, I remember what my 18-year-old sister said when she overheard me confessing. She said, how totally embarrassing. I've got a brother who's a thief. <laughs> that sound like a big sister? She says, she called me a thief. He says, but, you know, if you commit adultery, you're an adulterer. And if you lie, you become a liar. And I stole and had become a thief. And it led me to my room weeping and ashamed of myself. The psalmist says, you can be spared that shame if you will treasure and keep God's words. That shame will never be yours to the extent that you keep Cherish and keep God's words. Verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. 
And of course, that makes perfect sense because obedience, keeping God's word, you know, protects us from sin. It is, it is the anti-sin. Um, verse 11 says that straight up. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's just what it does. It's how it works. Love God. Love his word. Not only because we love God, but because it's so good for us. It brings such blessing from God. It's an expression of his love for us. Um, it keeps us from sinning, from sinning against God, the God who loves us so, whom we are now trying to love back. No shame from sin for those who love God's word and walk in it. And he goes on to say, much wisdom, great wisdom comes to those who cherish God's word. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. You skip down to verse 97. Oh, I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. And then verse 98, the seminarian's favorite verse, right? I have more understanding than all my teachers. For my testimonies are my meditation, your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Great wisdom, much wisdom, exceeding wisdom. Jason Grisham shouldn't be alive, the article says. It says, um, during his attempt to scale an electrical tower, a really bad idea. The 22-year-old man received a shock that is usually fatal. Partway up the tower, um, 69,000 volts of electricity coursed through his body, knocking Grisham to the ground. Despite suffering burns to his chest and having his pants explode, <laughs> the young man was admitted to the hospital in relatively good condition. How did Grisham get into such a predicament? It was no accident. A seven-foot fence, tall fence topped with barbed wire surrounded the electrical tower. He had to climb that. An electrical company spokeswoman said that the spot where Grisham climbed over the fence was bracketed by signs saying, danger, high voltage. Um, the shock that he took disrupted power to almost 7,000 customers. Um, your commandment makes me wise, okay? Don't, don't you know this guy wished that he'd been imbibing in God's word that night instead of whatever he was imbibing in that prompted him to climb an electrical tower, okay? It is, it is wisdom distilled for you to live a good, great, best life possible. The psalmist celebrates that God's word brings a myriad of blessing to his people. It removes shame. It protects purity. It shields us from sin. It reveals wonderful things, brings delight, gives wisdom, gives life, gives strength, comfort, peace, deliverance. This is just a sampling of what you're going to read this afternoon when you read Psalm 119 in its totality. It is designed by God to bring blessing to your life, his, his word. Myriads. And myriads of blessing. Um, 
No wonder, right? No wonder it's his delight. Is it yours? Do you delight in God's word? Do you, do you want to read it? Do you make time to ponder it? Do you give yourself to keeping it? Or is it boring? Is it the thing that you have to do because it'd be ugly in small group if you didn't? Right? Um, if God's word is something less for you than delightful, let me, let me give you four suggested things that, that help increase the, your delight in, in the word. Pick one, okay? Pick one. First, and this comes from Captain Obvious, you should read it, okay? A direct relationship between delight in God's word and reading it. If you're not reading it, you're, you're not going to delight in it. Read it. Read it every day. Every day. Uh, it's the only way to increase your delight in God's word, really, um, foundationally. And uh, I'm going to post on our leader blog on the front page of the website. It will probably go up tomorrow. Uh, this, you can't read it, but it's a reading guide, Psalm 119, Monday through Friday. Each of those little eight-verse sections will give you two months of leisurely reading and reflecting every weekday on Psalm 119 um, as a way of just feeding your delight in God's word. Prayerfully, reflectively reading Psalm 119. So I'll, I'll, I'll post that for you. So uh, you should read. You should read the Bible. If you want to delight in it, read the thing. Okay? Uh, second thing, you should frame it. Not like on your wall, but in, I guess that's not a bad idea. But um, frame it when you read it, being mindful that... Um, it is a loving gift from your heavenly Father to you for your good. You are reading a gift. It's given to you for your good by your heavenly Father. That's the context. And you're framing it by saying, this is how I love God back. This is how I demonstrate my love for him. I cherish and treasure his words. And you can do this simply by prayer that precedes and follows your reading. Pray that God would allow you to see his word for all that it is, to see it as good and beautiful and worthy of your devotion and, and thank him for it. Thank him for it, for giving you such a good, a good revelation of who he is. So you should read it, you should frame it, you should pray it. Um, specifically, find in Psalm 119 these delightful verses and make them your prayer. God, I am not there yet. I'm not digging your rules, okay? Give me a heart that loves your law and sees it as your good to me, like this guy. And I will, um, along with that reading guide, I'll post a lot of those delight verses on the leader blog um, tomorrow.
Or you can just highlight them when you read it this afternoon. Okay? They're all over the place. He delights, he loves. Um, here's, here's one to get you started. Verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Okay, not there yet. Okay, we're not there yet. But we want to be. So God, say, you know, make this your prayer. God, let me be consumed with longing for your rules. Let me love them. See them as good and to be cherished. Let me love you back in that way. So just find those verses. Pray them back to God. And I'll post a few more. Um, fourth thing is meditate on his word. Um, it's a common theme in this psalm, verse 97. Oh, I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. It's my meditation all the day. Uh, J.I. Packer says meditation is the activity of calling to mind thinking over, dwelling on, applying to oneself the various thing one knows about the works and ways and purpose and promises of God. Okay. You're like chewing on it, right? He says it's an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communication with God. Its purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God and let his truth to make its full and proper impact in one's mind and heart. So you should carry it with you through the day. We don't just want to have a little devotion in the morning where we read our little eight verses of Psalm 119 and then full speed ahead. Catch you tomorrow, God. Okay. You know, we, we want to carry it with us. So um, journaling helps sometimes slow you down enough that it sticks with you. You write out that little prayer or you write out some insight um, or you just rewrite the scripture and put a bunch of Exclamation points after it or something. Um, you post-it note it. You screensaver it. You could even memorize it. And let it chase you through the day. You can review it. You can, you can set an alarm and have it pop up at 103 on your computer if you're at your computer that time. Or on your iPhone. You can, you can do this, he says. Use the text, right? Meditate on it. But the first thing that, that just overwhelms you when you read Psalm 119 is that this guy delights in God's word, and I hope it makes you want to do that more too, to treasure them. There's a second thing that he models for us that, again, just jumps off the page at us, um, and that is that he is, he is committed to God's word. You know, because love is not just desire, it's commitment, right? Um, and he is committed to God's word in a radical way. Verse 33 and 34, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Okay. I am in this till the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Okay, Wholehearted keeping of, of the law to the end. You know, he's committed to persevering and keeping God's word with all his heart, even when hardship comes. And this is a common, common, common theme um, through this section. He says, even though princes are plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken 
your precepts. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. And if it was David who wrote this, this is one of the options, you know that this is literal stuff. People were trying to assassinate him, kill him. And he says, I am faithful. I am committed to your word no matter what hardship comes. He's committed to a prompt keeping of it. Verse 60 says, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commands. Even, even when it's inconvenient, he's going to be doing this. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. At midnight. Okay? He's like setting an alarm to get up at midnight just to thank God for his rules. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your, when does this guy sleep, you're wondering, right? He's up till midnight. He's up at dawn. Um, Seven times a day, he praises you for your righteous rules. And we've talked about midday stepping off the hamster wheel and just getting the word, just a touch midday to recalibrate. He did that seven times a day. Um, really, really remarkable. His days and his sleepless nights are marked by the word. He's committed to the word. But I want you to know that it, he has a clear understanding that it's not just about gritting his teeth and trying really, really hard to be better at this. He, uh, many of his prayers are for God to help him love and cherish and keep the word rightly. Here's, here's a sample, starting in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. And all those things he's asking God to do for him so that he can be a lover of his word. He can be committed to his word. Teach me. Give me understanding. Lead me. Incline my heart. Turn my eyes. He cannot pull himself up by his own bootstraps. He is wholly dependent on God to keep and treasure his word rightly. But he does, make no mistake about it, he does resolve to stay in the word, to delight in the word, to keep the word as God gives grace, right? He's, he's making a commitment. So how's your resolve these days? How's your resolve to be a lover and a keeper of God's word. Um, what does it take to knock you out of your commitment to read and pray and keep the word daily? Does it take a lot? Um, or if you're just tired, is that enough? Um, stay up too late watching the tournament the night before, is that enough? Okay. Can't find your Bible. Got a busy day ahead, need to get started early. Got a big project at work. One of the kids is sick. Okay, when aren't one of the kids sick, right? Somebody's always sick. It's just how it works. I just don't feel like it. They're not feeling it today. Um, by contrast, um, <laughs> this is crazy. 
desperate but highly committed Starbucks junkies fought high winds, dangerous rains, and dire warnings just to get a latte or a cup of coffee um, when Sandy poured in on New York City. It says, uh, Bethany Owens, 28, walked 10 blocks during that storm, Superstorm Sandy. She walked 10 blocks with her one-year-old daughter in that storm to get a Starbucks fix. This is what she said. I saw on Facebook that they were open, she said. It was scary not having Starbucks. <laughs> okay. Um. Her neighbor and friend, 29-year-old Chris Hernandez, came along and later said, when she said they were open, I was like, pack the baby up, let's go. What kind of friend is this, right? Who tells you, take your baby out into the storm so you can get Starbucks. I, I didn't know they were all going to close. He said, I started panicking. There's nothing else I would have gone out for. This makes my day complete. Alex Mwangi, he's 25, he walked more than 20 blocks looking for an open Starbucks during the storm. He told reporters, it took half an hour, but I'm a Starbucks fanatic. I go four or five times a day. David Lowe, who's 25, said he went to three closed Starbucks before learning this, this one store was open. He said, I'm really happy these guys are open. I can't get a pumpkin spice latte anywhere else. Okay. You know, their devotion to Starbucks shames us a bit, doesn't it? That superstorm Sandy would not keep them from their Starbucks. How's your resolve to love God back? By loving his word. You know, do you think it was convenient for my dad to carry those letters all around the Pacific? They were letters, okay? They weren't emails. They weren't texts. They were paper letters. Do you think that was convenient? Going through the Gilberts and and that black ash of Iwo Jima and all around the different places in the Pacific where he was, and then back to the Midwest. Um, I'm sure it wasn't convenient. But you know what? His love for my mom made it a delight. It was worth it. It was worth it. What is your resolve to love God back by loving his word? Maybe to read it daily or, or, or to meditate it on it more throughout your day, to keep it, to journal about it, to memorize it. Here's a trivia question for you, okay? What do these people have in common? William Wilberforce, Henry Martin, David Livingstone, Blaise Pascal, and Rick Rauch. Okay, uh, William Wilberforce, of course, was the British uh, abolitionist, um, believer in Christ, who was instrumental in wiping out slavery. Uh, Henry Martin was a pioneer missionary to India, I believe, right? And uh, David Livingston, pioneer missionary to Africa. Blaise Pascal, great French philosopher who was a believer. And Rick Rao was my best friend in uh, grade school and high school. I'll tell you, there's a, there is one common thread, and that, that these are some of the godliest men you'll ever run into, right? 
uh, and I would say that about my friend Rick, uh, a remarkable man of God. But every one of these guys memorized Psalm 119 in its entirety, all 176 verses. And I'm guessing that on hearing that, some of you sense that God wants you to do that. And you should do it. You should treasure his word that way. You know, you did about three verses a week, you'd have it in a year-ish. And some of you, of course, are overwhelmed by that. And so I'm thinking today, you're going to go, you're going to read Psalm 119, right, this afternoon. It takes you 15 minutes if you read it aloud. You did that during halftime. Read Psalm 119 today. One of those letters of the Hebrew alphabet, that little section, is going to jump out at your ear. You're going to go, wow, I think that's for me. And you should memorize that section. You should own Tate or, you know, Dalit or Hay or Sheen or Sheen or whatever. Whatever the Hebrew letter is, you should, you should own that thing. You should memorize that. And everybody should pick at least one, okay, pick one verse as you read Psalm 119 that's like your go-to verse that's going to be your expression of your heart. That you're going to come before God and say, I want a heart like this. Um, this verse is my prayer about how I want to love you back, God, by loving your word. Okay. Verse 18 puts... Um, puts our prayer into words. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Wondrous things. Think about all that comes to us from God's word. Um, the knowledge that we are created and not mere happenstance. The knowledge that God lovingly chooses people to be his sons and daughters. We know that from, his, from the word. That's the only way we know that. And that when his children stray, God pursues them in love. Everything we know about Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, all of this comes to us only from the words that God gives to us. That's how we know. That's how we know who Jesus is. And what he's like through his word. It's a wondrous thing. Wondrous things come to us from God's word. And the table of remembrance and worship that we're about to celebrate, it's one of those things. We know that this is how we are to love God back. Simply because Jesus' words recorded in the Bible tell us to. They tell us that his people are to remember him in this way. We, we, we read in the scriptures that on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus gathered with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body and it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup after the meal, and he said, this cup is, is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this also in remembrance of me. Communion 
the celebration of the Lord's Supper. It's how we love God back. And it's, it's for believers. So if you're not yet a believer, this table's not yet for you. But I pray that one day it will be. What's for you is an invitation to come to Christ whose blood was shed and body was broken on the cross for us. Come to Christ. And for those of us who are followers in Jesus, this, if, if, you, if you want to be free from your sin and you want to love God back, then the table's open for you. It's for you. Um, come and experience the grace of communion with the risen Christ by his spirit and through obedience to his word. Love him back. As we, as we come to the table, the worship team is going to be reading portions of Psalm 119 over us just as a prayer like a blessing on our lives that that just as we come now in loving obedience keeping his word loving his word cherishing the truth of his word about about his son um, that that will follow us out of this room and shape us all of our days so let's bow in prayer and then let's let's love God back in this way Father, be kind to us now and um, accept our worship as pleasing to you. We do this because we love you. And we love you because you have loved us first. And the great demonstration of that is in the life and the death, the horrible death on the cross of your son. And his beautiful, powerful resurrection on the third day that we proclaim until he comes again. So, Father, I hope you are loved well by this uh, act of keeping your, your word by your people now. We pray this in Christ's name.